You're listening to a Roddenberry podcast. And welcome to Women at Warp, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Join us on our continuing mission to explore intersectional diversity in infinite combinations. My name is Kennedy, and thanks for tuning in. With me today are Sue. Hello. And Andy. Hello. Before we get into our main topic, we have a little bit of housekeeping to do first. Our show is made possible by our patrons on Patreon. If you'd like to become a patron, you can do so for as little as $1 per month and get awesome rewards, from thanks on social media up to silly watch-along commentaries. Visit patreon.com slash womenatwarp. Tee Public Store has new designs based on our banner art, plus logos and some other non-podcast-specific Trek designs. You can check out tpublic.com slash stores slash women at warp for the selection. <clears throat> now that the work is done, let me roll up my sleeves because we're reviewing Lower Deck Season 2! Every time I hear the theme song, I love it more. Can I just say? It just keeps getting better. It's so good. <laughs> So first, the premiere episode, Strange Energies, where Mariner and, what's his name? Ransom. Jeez, already I forgot his name. All I can think of is the Rainbow Swirls, because that whole scene was just, it's the first thing I remember, and it's the only thing that's hitting me right now. But I'm curious, before I get into my bag, how do you, how do you all feel about it? The thing I like about this episode, and the thing I like about Lower Decks in general, is that it is so cool to see a Star Trek show lean into being Star Trek. Yeah. <laughs> the self-referential humor, I am so about it. It does it wouldn't work on a normal show because this is a like a comedy and show and it's kind of almost less want to say formal, if that's the word for it. They can make fun of themselves in a way that other shows just it wouldn't work nearly as well. But they do it so well. And they do it so well because you can tell how much they love Star Trek and how much fun they're having with Star Trek. And just the smallest things they will bring back. And this is a good example of that. That's like, here's a trope of Star Trek. Let's have it happen on Lower Decks and then make fun of it. It's freaking awesome. I love it. And it's not just like references to star trek we've seen on tv or in film before it's references to lore around star trek like when when mariner says i know we're not supposed to have interpersonal conflicts but i really hate that andorian perfect (laughs) i mean that's that's the gene idea that we talk about all the time yeah and the other cool thing about it is i don't know any other franchise long-standing or otherwise that can refer to itself so many different ways mm-hmm. like nobody even even the Hoovians can't refer to themselves within themselves the way that trek can there's other me- episodes that jump out in mind that drive that home of course strange energies being one of them because it makes a reference to gary mitchell so there's tos right mm-hmm. there and then with the next episode kashan his eyes wide i mean aside from there's a Tamarian and Starfleet now, right? But there's also that collectorship where everything you could have possibly all of the all of the true true nerdy things, like all the collector nerds lost their minds with this episode because of everything that it made reference to in the background. I was watching it earlier today to remind myself and I was like, "Oh snap, there's this. Oh snap, there's that. Oh snap, there's this." And it's just a really cool example of of what this franchise can do. And it's just such a love letter. Yeah. And I mean, Keishan's a good example of this because it also shows the flexibility that animation gives you that live action doesn't because we get to see more aliens on the show than we have ever seen before. And a huge part of that is because it's just as easy to draw an alien as it is 
any other human crew member, right? Whereas in other shows, it's a production. Right. So the fact that we get to see one-off alien species that we don't usually get to see very often on live action Star Trek nearly as much, like this show is probably the most species diverse that we've ever had. And it's Mm. because it's animated. And kind of going back to our first point where it's just like, this clearly is a show that the writers love. The thing I like about the collectorship idea is this, if you ask nerds, like, what would they want to do <laughs> with a collectorship? It would a hundred percent be like, let's run around and fight the collection. Like, <laughs> you know, it's, it's wish fulfillment, but like not creepy and weird. It, it's just fun. It just taps into like, the fun aspects of Trek fandom in a way I don't think we've ever seen before. And I really enjoy it. But it's not just relying on the jokes, right? This show is not just jokes and references. This, I think, might be one of my favorite episodes of the season, because with with Jed in the mix in this story, we're finally getting somebody who is has a similar style as Mariner, who's butting heads with her. And then she's learning the lesson of like people have different strengths and I need to pay attention to that. And my way isn't always the right way. So you're, you're getting the character development and you're getting the story and in strange energies, they're also setting up in that episode, her abandonment issues. Oh yeah, for sure. Which is a theme through the whole season. Yeah. I'm thinking there's something there. I'm thinking coming up, Carol Freeman must've devoted her life to Trek and never saw her daughter. Carol Freeman went to join the Trek? Jeez. Yeah. It's- <laughs> she devoted her life to Star Trek. She's a big fan. Right. She devoted her life to Starfleet. Beg pardon. <laughs> and in an effort to stay close to her mother, to maintain a content- connection with her mother, she joined Starfleet too, but is the antithesis because she like resents it, I think, low-key. And she resents her mother's devotion to it as well. So those abandoned issues... Uh, abandonment issues definitely are are there in strange energies and like you said through the rest of the season for sure overcompensation is here in Kayshawn his eyes open so it's been hard to see Mariner's growth because it's almost like that mirror that I mentioned from first season I'm like oh my god Mariner's me (laughs) it's like oh snap no this is uh, you guys just at me next time okay (laughs) don't make a whole series about my life cripes one quick note about Kayshawn, his eyes open before we move on. The fact that the Universal Translator can't quite... The, the fact that he had to learn Federation Standard, I think, is a big deal. And it, it's a cool way to to shine light on folks who, you know, Federation Standard, a.k.a. English, isn't their first language. And there's going to be some language barriers. And the fact that it still occurs... In this in this time frame, I think is super cool. The thing that's cool about him as a character is not only are we getting the cool stuff, but we're also getting like this was the criticism of the that episode is that as a language that would be very difficult mm. and would cause a lot of confusion. And so they're like, "Hey, here he is!" And look, it causes a lot of confusion. And I just find that very charming. And regarding Mariner, one thing that I like about Lower Decks in general is that it's very standalone in many ways, but the character development is arced. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. So you see the, the, the character themes pretty much in every episode. In the beginning, here we start to see Mariner's kind of go-to move being hostility, which mm-hmm. is her arc over the season. We have her her difficulty with working with other people. And with Boimler, we have like him addressing his kind of perfectionism and how that kind of holds him back sometimes. And these are these are themes that are repeated throughout the episodes we're going to talk about. Uh, I always find that cool. Like the stories are standalone sometimes, but the the themes aren't. That's yeah. good writing in my opinion. Also shout out to the Trekkie crafters and fabric artists because there were Kayshawn puppets practically immediately. That day, like within the hour it dropped, there were Kayshawn puppets. I so want good. one so bad. I want to be a Kayshawn puppet. Like that's a cosplay idea. <laughs> <laughs> Just this enormous puppet. <laughs> 
Oh god, that would be fantastic. Uh, moving on, we've got we'll always have Tom Paris, a favorite. You know what? This episode is them addressing all of the criticism they received for season one. Yep, they did that a lot over the course of the season, for sure. And the the best thing about it is that they weren't saying you're wrong. They're saying you know what? You're right. Mm-hmm. So let's fix it. And at least that's the way I read it. Putting Mariner and Tendi together, splitting up the crew in a different way, making Mariner canonically queer. All of this happens in this episode. I, pre- I specifically appreciate all of those things that she said, Sue. And the fact that Mariner was in green face for a little bit there. Mm. I was a little uncomfortable. I was like, what? Wait a minute. <laughs> this is, is this how we drive home that this is bad? Is this how we do this? Because I'm uncomfortable. And it wasn't even like... I mean, I guess that's an indicator of of how damaging blackface was, right? Or any type of appropriation of a person's visage without... I mean, just like, you know, any any type of, like, impersonation in that way made me uncomfortable. But it was also like, you know, the way she handled it, I think, like you said, is, is how people who would make those kinds of arguments for something like that all of those responses like, are, are things that she said. So I think it, they just do a really good job of taking heavy topics as well and hitting the nail on the head in the way so they could push through the story. One of those heavy topics being Tom's clear PTSD. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Your man's is not okay. Because Boimler didn't look like a Kazon, okay? When he did all the things he had to do to get his plate signed, I gotta get my plate. <laughs> Boimler's so sweet, I wanna hug him. After all of was said and done... Tom reacted like he was still at the far reaches of the Delta Quadrant. Your man was scarred. And I kind of talking about that in a way that is comedic made me a little uncomfortable too, right? I was like, that's not, he's, he's not okay. Maybe I'm sensitive, right? Maybe I, I read a little too much into things when it comes to that. Maybe I, I have a safe, a special place in my heart for, for the Voyager crew. That could be as well. I, I wonder how, how you all thought about that. I, I guess I didn't take it so much as it being a comment on Tom having PTSD as more, it was, for me, I took it as more of a funny callback. And I, I mean, I thought it was funny, but I also can see how you would read it that way and why that would be discomforting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because to your point, Andy, they could have done that, right? How many different species did they encounter in the Delta Quadrant? They could have plucked from anybody. Mm-hmm. But it was the fact that they... Because the Borg are probably more traumatic than that Kazon excursion was, you know? Or mm-hmm. maybe, I don't know, anybody else seeing Harry get all eaten up by the Undine? Any one of those things is traumatic. I think for for me, it just seemed like they were going with one of the more iconic Voyager-specific alien races yeah fair i'm with it to to our point that we're trying to establish about this being like a, a not just a star trek comedy it being a star trek show i'm looking at it from a lens it's like haha this stuff has more comedy than usual obvi but like this is still a legit crew they're still in space <laughs> they're still upholding the prime directive somewhat because of the nature of star trek right and it's it's ideas driven storytelling when you're making a comedy show within that universe, I think one of the uh, difficult things to navigate is that you're always going to run into situations where the audience might think, should they be making jokes about that? Mm -hmm. And we're definitely going to get into that with some of the later episodes too, because I think this is a really fine line to to walk. And most of the time, I think Laura Dux does a really good job of walking that line. And then occasionally they dip their toe past the line, which is kind of an inevitable outcome if you're going to try and do comedy about serious things. Yeah, I could agree to that. The big thing about this episode is seeing more of Dr. Ta'ana for me Mm -hmm. and more of Tendi. Mistress of the Winter Constellations, bitch, what? What? I have so many questions. What did you do? Where do you come from? Who are your people? Like, what is happening? Dom Tendi for the win? Like, what? <laughs> I, what is going on? That part really impacted me. It was cool seeing Orion's, but it was definitely cool seeing a little bit more of Cation culture, too. Mm-hmm. Why is her tail so short? That's what I want to know. I think she's been in a fight. She's scrappy. I mean, that that's, I, I buy it. 
<laughs> Scrappy. At first, I thought she might have been one of those breeds that has like bob tails or like shorter tails, like a Manx maybe. But I think, just judging by her ears, I think homegirl be yeah. fighting people. It's fair. Moving on to my favorite episode, I think, of the season, Mugato Gamacho. Okay, so I have to say that the Mugato scene <laughs> where they're banging <laughs> yes. is the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life. This show is so horny. I fell off my couch. I literally, and I'm not like, this is not hyperbolic. I literally laughed so hard. I fell off my couch. Like my stomach. Like I had to pause the episode at some point because I couldn't stop laughing. And then I was like missing things because it was just one of those kinds of things that like, I will think back on it and laugh. Oh, it's just, this is, I mean... Woo! Everything about Mugato Gamato. I remember telling Sue that it read like STA Adventure. It read like somebody who has been a fan like us, like a a big old nerd about it, and has dug in every possible crate they could to bring this this episode. Because, I mean, here we go again, splitting up the Fab Four, or Fave Four, as I call them putting Boimler and Ruffy together, and those two just being pure little nerds, bless their nerdy little hearts, out Ferengiing Ferengis. Like, I... What? Starfleet's mm-hmm. finest. Starfleet's finest. That's my way to win a battle with, like, profit and loss sheets. <laughs> just, oh man, so good. Can I just say, too, that regarding the humor... I find it very interesting that I have been more than once, and I'm sure Sue has too, and Kennedy, been more than once told that I am a humorless feminist. (laughs) And yet, to me, this was so freaking funny. But it's one of the episodes that I feel got the most backlash for like, this is too far. This is not Star Trek. Which, to be fair, I think is valid. Like, humor is super subjective. I can see how somebody would sit down and be like, that was too much. I didn't find it funny. And I think that's valid. But I just think it's really funny that we get treated like humorless, prudish feminists, and then I'm crying laughing at this episode. I get told to lighten up all the time. Yes! (laughs) And something we're going to talk about again later i'm sure (laughs) right and the reason why i thought the mugato fornication scene was so great was because it was very sex positive boimler and rutherford could have reacted with disgust right i'm pretty sure they were too busy being scared for their lives but you know when everyone was spent (laughs) you know they just kind of kept it pushing they weren't like ew it's disgusting me like like, they were just like, it's a thing. It happens, like, mm-hmm. apparently very natural and, and kept it pushing. The fact that they included a watcher was like, <laughs> I just thought was really, you know, nice to include folks in the kink community who just prefer to watch. <laughs> For more on that topic. <laughs> Before we move on to the next episode, I just want to say that my favorite part of Mugato Gumato. Yes. Was that Shax pronounced it differently every single time. Oh, it's the best part. Because wasn't it wasn't it DeForest Kelly who couldn't get it right? Yeah. And was saying yeah. it different every time? Just just Chef's kiss, man. Like so wh- good. How, what else could you possibly need? Also, not quite as hard as the Mugatus, but um I also almost cried laughing at Mariner. Just beating the crap out of Boimler and uh, Rutherford in Ambo Jitsu. I thought I was going to lose it. it oh my god! So oh my god! They were like, "We've been practicing." When Homegirl <laughs> went off, I said, "She's a problem." <laughs> Mariner has seen time somewhere. Mariner's done hard time on someone's penal colony. I don't know. I, I definitely believe the Klingon Black Ops story now. I believe that. <laughs> that that wasn't something some she told some bartender to spread at a bar. No, no. <laughs> that happened. I'm curious about everybody's backstory now. Oh, yeah, for sure. Next is Embarrassment of Duplers. Kirk and Spock forever! <laughs> 
<laughs> That's all I have to say about that. No, it's all good. What a fun episode. Can we talk about Kirk and Spock at the bar? Like, I'm all I'm all for Spurk, right? 100%. But, like, you've got – it's just a plus, right? There's no mm-hmm. heart. And, and, like, the fandom in seeing this screenshot was, like, Kirk and Spock is canon. Uh, and like, yeah, I wouldn't go that far. Yeah, that's a, I, I'm on board for it. Don't get me wrong. But like, you've also got Mariner plus Boimler, and they are definitely not a couple. Right. So, like, I guess it leaves it open for interpretation. Yes, yeah. which is, you know, kind of the hallmark of Kirk and Spock, right, in my right. opinion. Like, you can interpret them as platonic friends. You absolutely can. And I think it's, Beyond a valid interpretation. And then you can also, you know, interpret it as more. And both are fine. Yeah, I just, I don't think I personally will go as far as calling it canon. Oh, no. no. Based on the names carved in a bar. Mm -hmm. The subtext is still subtext. It is not yet text. If you want to, though, like, I'm for it. (laughs) That's what's up. What, like, geez, what was I going to say about um, embarrassment? This episode's about classism. Is that what you were going to say? Probably. Yeah, it's like, I mean, the whole series, as we are finding, is about the divide, the hierarchy within the Federation and Starfleet. And how arbitrary and pointless it is. Yeah, especially when you consider the things that these people do, like, every day. <laughs> you know, like, I, I can't imagine being considered on a lower rung of anything in Starfleet. Like, we're in space. Everything I do is high risk. What do you mean? I'm on a lower tier. If you don't let me in this party. (laughs) Yeah, I think this is the first time it comes up this season. But when when Freeman says, I'll be the only California class captain in attendance. Mm -hmm. Like, so all captains aren't equal either. Yeah, it's just really. That's mm, mm -mm. especially considering the optics. Like, it's like, okay, great. You're going to give this woman a piece of her flower, but not the whole bouquet, even though she's clearly doing the work to own it but we'll get into that too because there's if there's reveals you were talking about kirk plus spock and mariner plus boimler being Mm -hmm. sweet and pure and stuff in the bar my favorite part of that bar was tendy handing rutherford a model of deep space nine after struggling with his memory the entire episode and and really just like i think it's neat that they're they're incorporating some cognitive disability hints with with rutherford and i i'm I'm liking it i like the inclusion element of it but the fact that she gave him a deep space nine and he got excited because it had both a john zia and an esri (laughs) because they won't give us deep space nine references like they're not going to give it to us because everybody wants it we got the piece of of a glimpse in season one the fact that everybody's still wearing those uniforms is like a nod in this very same episode they mentioned Quarks. She talks about having served on Deep Space Nine. Mariner does. Right, but we won't see anybody from Deep Space Nine. Mm. We saw Deep Space Nine itself in season one. Let's hope. Let's hope we see more <laughs> I DS9. I said what I said. I want... <laughs> <laughs> it's not enough, Sue. That is what it's we want to get across here. Never enough. We want more Deep Space Nine. I want Bashir to show up on the Cerritos to give to Anna some tips on how to do things and her be thoroughly irked by how pleasant he is. <laughs> no, what I want is Bashir and Mariner running around doing bi-pan things and just being chaos mm. everywhere. I mean, that, that that can happen too. That can be the holodeck part of that episode. <laughs> I'm with it. <laughs> Moving on to the Spy Humongous, which I think is really a, a cool point in, in nailing home the subplots here in this season. One being the packleds and the fact that they are super aggressive and apparently really hard to kill. And Carol Freeman's ambition, like we've we've already seen in, in previous episodes, just the season alone with embarrassment of dupers immediately. But Homegirl's trying to be out. She's trying to get noticed. She's trying to get I don't know what she doesn't isn't clear about what her her goal is. But it sounds like she's ready to leave the crew behind because she's so ambitious in making these diplomatic meetings and first contact and negotiations and stuff. And in her ambition is underestimating the pack leads underestimate like clear underestimation when that dude got yeeted into space (laughs) and survived i was like wait a minute 
Like, it's one thing for them to be a little dull, right? It's another thing for them to use technology from other cultures instead of developing their own. But surviving the vacuum of space? No. Mm -mm. That would instantly put me at red alarm. (laughs) (laughs) And I think the thing about... Freeman's arc in this show is that it's often contrasted, and it is in this episode, with Boimler and his ambition and also his insecurity. He wants to be Freeman, and Freeman wants to be more than she is. So I think kind of the two of them together we can take from their stories is that, like, there's always farther to go, but when you're always looking towards where you want to be, you're not noticing where you are. Right. For sure. I was definitely proud of Boimler this episode. I mean, the, the red shirts were clearly like, uh, what, like, is there a term for people like that who, who don't do work? <laughs> Failing upwards? <laughs> Managers. Okay, great. Yeah, yeah. There's probably several words. Okay, great. <laughs> It was cool seeing uh, Kazinti in Starfleet. Mm-hmm. It was just really neat. I love the fact that we're seeing all these TAS aliens unironically. There were a lot in the last episode, too. Oh, the grub guys. The server guys. Oh, and the... the I'm going to get it wrong. One of the, the avian guys. Oh, yeah. There are two different races that are the avian guys, and I don't recall which one is which. Sorry, Aaron Harvey. Uh, it's all good i think the fact that we're even referencing tas is (laughs) impressive because it's canon it is sorry about it it is i gotta say though i i still am sort of uncomfortable with the pack leads being like the seasoned villain because i'm sort of uncomfortable with the pack leads in general like there are very few big people fat people on star trek and this entire race their whole like thing is that they are fat and they are unintelligent and it it irks me a little bit that like those those things are linked and even though they say at the end of season one you know the pack leads aren't a joke anymore they're still kind of a joke in in a comedy show so it you know just give me give me more fat people in starfleet and i would be less Vigilant. Vigilant, skeptical, cautious. I'm not even sure what the right word is. But I just, I side-eye them every time they're on screen. I definitely felt that as well. And I I find myself trying to justify them. I feel like um, maybe our translators aren't picking up what their, you know, dialogue skills are actually like, right? Maybe their form of conversation is what what we can perceive is all the translator can get through, right? Maybe this is all a ploy, and for them, it's it's just, life is just simpler? I don't know. I don't know. I keep finding ways to, to justify them being that way, Sue, and I, I, I keep falling short, so I definitely can see where you're coming from on that. Hey, hey no show can be perfect, you know? Like, there's always yeah. going to be ways to improve. Absolutely. And I think overall, we like lower decks, but this is one thing that I also am not super comfortable with. And I, I think that it kind of varies from joke to joke, too. Because sometimes there are jokes where it's clear that the joke is Starfleet and how they are treating the Packlids. And then then there are other times where the joke is, look how silly the Packlids are. Right. So it kind of, even within that discomfort is nuance. So It makes me root for them, to be honest. Next episode, the problematic one, where pleasant fountains (laughs) lie. Yeah, okay, so I remember when we, I think it might have even been the same group, when we talked about Lower Decks Season 1, and there was, like, the one episode that made Sue and I uncomfortable was the, the the one episode that we thought was really ableist. I don't remember the name of that episode. The one where there's, like... The one with the farm. Yeah, and we're like, ooh, this really just did not work for us. That's this episode for this season for me, because I found some of it really interesting. I really found the whole, like, fantasy like medieval court kind of thing in space. Very, very cool. Oh, that's lit. However. Yeah, I liked getting background for Billups, who we don't know a whole lot about. But the whole thing was super creepy. 
<laughs> and and I just really don't understand why they thought I would find it funny to watch a mom try and basically coercively sexually assault her son. I I have it was so gross. She was pimping him. She was straight up pimping him on behalf of the kingdom. Uh, not she was non-consensually pimping yeah, him. Yeah, like it, Let's be there clear. there's lots of consent problems here, but my problem is less with that. It's more with how it's framed by the reactions of other people. They they should not be reacting like, oh look, she 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 did it again. No, man, no, this is super messed up. Like criminal. Yeah, not okay. And no nobody even within the episode seemed to feel like she like there should be consequences for this or like understood the gravity. And part of the reason is at the end of the day, again, this is supposed to be a lighthearted comedy show, and you can't unpack that comedically. And so that makes the whole episode built on rotten foundations, because this is not something that is funny. So then, like, how are we supposed to laugh at it? Yeah. And I have to think that if Billups was a woman, we'd be talking about it much differently, and the episode would be very different, and I don't think that it would exist. Yeah. Because part of the jokes is joke is is he's a man and then like the other thing is that like they've coded him to at the very least coded him to be asexual and so like is it, the joke is like he's a man who doesn't like sex let's force him to have sex? No. No, no. No, 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 no. Yeah. No. Full stop. No. Full stop. And I it, you're right about if this if Phillips was if if, it was, if this was Andorithia Billups, we would have a completely different conversation around it. And I wonder if they thought that that was the gag. Like, hey, this is a really problematic thing that could happen. Why don't we spin it so it can be funny? And it's just like, that's that's not what happened. That was a whole, a whole entire miss. And it's a shame because Billups being a prince low-key is a great idea. It's a great concept. Like, Renfair in space... Great nod to folks who go in Starfleet uniform to Ren Fairs. Like, there was great bones there, but... Yeah, if they had had the, like, the like him being tricked into doing something that would get, be, make him become king, that they could keep all of that and just make it not be sex, and right. this whole episode would have been great. Right. Like, literally change that story beat from, like, he has to say this phrase. So she's, like, always trying to trick him into saying those words. Right. I don't know. Like, literally, you could make up anything. He, it could be his mustache. Oh, yeah. my God, he shaved shave his mustache. Off, shave now off he's his king. mustache. Yeah. He has to ritually shave off his mustache, and then he's king. Exactly. Like, that immediately is a million times funnier, has no consent issues at all, and this whole episode suddenly works again. It has no sexual consent issues. Yeah, it still true. has consent issues. Yeah. I'm just saying, like, you could you could rewrite that episode very easily with pretty much anything else and make it less problematic. Hot take. I don't think you should. Okay. As an ace person, I obviously don't speak for all ace people. I found this story incredibly relatable. Wow. What? Oh, my God. Tell me more about that. I, I, was, re- I was ready for Super Sue. I was ready for Super Sue. (laughs) So from my perspective, right, like I I, for the most part identify as arrow ace, so aromantic asexual, but also like within asexuality, there tend to be categories of being sex favorable, meaning like that you are happy to have sex, you enjoy having sex, sex indifferent and sex repulsed, right? So those are the, the three mains, obviously, spectrum, like all of this stuff. But from my perspective, like, sex is not a thing I think about all the time. Sex is not a thing that, like, I am seeking pretty much ever. But I am moving through the world. I'm surrounded by it. I'm surrounded by media telling me I should, that, that, that it's important, by family telling me that it's important. My mother has never tried to coerce me into having sex, but <laughs> she has, against my will, tried to set me up with multiple people. And for me, that's the same thing. Like, you're trying to force me into a relationship that I don't want. I am not interested in having a relationship. But it's that in itself is coercion, right? Yeah. So, but a lot of these things Billups is dealing with is like 
navigating the world for me as an ace person of people with this expectation of coupling with the sort of being the butt of a joke when you're not like interested in this topic of conversation. But what I really loved about this episode is that Billups' crewmates aren't making fun of him. Oh, that's true. Yeah. They're like, oh, you're a virgin? Okay, cool. Yeah, I really liked how supportive Rutherford was through the whole episode for Billups. Right, Agreed. and when it's announced to the entire ship that he's a virgin, nobody is laughing at him. That is pretty cool. Right, and you, you also talked about, like, if this were Andorithia Billups, right, it was. It was Deanna Troy, mm. right? Because his mother is clearly supposed to be a Loxana Troy type. Yeah. But in the early seasons of TNG, this is exactly what Loxana did to Deanna with her whole arranged marriage business. Was it Haven? Yeah. That's really cool. I love that perspective on it. I guess the thing that would probably have helped me not be so uncomfortable would be if they hadn't had that scene where he is like clearly freaking out and like two people like sitting there staring like that to me really creeped me out. It's like, I really appreciate that perspective of like, this is relatable, but I'm wondering if there's a way to walk that line where you still could get that story without being so creepy i don't know yeah i don't want to make it seem like i'm saying the coercion is okay definitely (laughs) not i don't don't think we thought that tricking somebody into having sex is not okay i would like but i think the i think you're right the scene that bothered me the most is when he's like in the towel in the bathroom yes he's not just celibate because he prefers to be in starfleet and i just also want to say celibate is different from asexual like celibate is a choice not to have sex whereas asexual is a lack of sexual attraction so many so much terminology <laughs> but he didn't he didn't make the choice of like i would rather do this but sex is still a temptation he's clearly from that scene either just not interested in these people or not interested in sex entirely right and it was for me it was the scene leading up to it where he goes to Freeman and like officially resigns and those two guards I guess whatever grip him up and he says is it going to hurt like I was like oh my god no I was like they can't how what I was like I hope someone protects Billups and thank god for Rutherford because whew, I will say that it, it is it did kind of warm my heart to see how much of the people how many people that I knew were so ready to go to war for Billups and protect him so I, I think like as 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 cringy as that episode was, it was kind of a litmus test to show us that the kids are okay. You know, like no one was like, you should have banged. Yeah, I heard some of the comments about this episode before I had a chance to watch it. And then when I watched it, I was like, yeah, this this part is not great. But they're also telling us that it's not great. Like the episode is not saying this is okay. What's everybody mad about? <laughs> Yeah, and I think that that's that's where I I I just I I didn't feel the same, I guess, because I mean, I don't think anybody was like, "Wow, what a great mom. She really cares." Like not right. it wasn't like that, but I don't feel like the reaction from the crew or the episode encompassed how supremely not okay all of that was. I thought the reaction to what happened was very mild and barely there. The only argument I could launch against that, Andy, is that Freeman and the crew are fully aware of the shenanigans. So knowing like what Billups is about, what Billups is not about, and if this is something that happens a lot, I imagine the crew would be desensitized to seeing this woman, and it is more of annoyance than anything else. We've also seen over and over again in Star Trek where somebody's a crew member's culture comes into play and everybody else just kind of backs off. Yeah, because you're supposed to, you know? I mean, in this case, it's like, but you're right. Definitely Deanna Troy vibes, Sue. But while we're talking about ace stuff, I just want to say, you know who else has some real ace energy is Devana Tendi. The trick, or rather the stunt she pulls in Strange Energies, I think it's the first episode where she like freaks out 
that she might lose her friend to a relationship. That is some ace energy. <laughs> See, I thought she was kind of in love with him and, and Ruffy was giving me ace. Well, in season one, he tells Badgie that he like likes her and she doesn't seem to be interested in dating whatsoever. But mm, interesting. anyway, I, I mean, they both could be. But like right, that, right. that particular instance of like, you can't date. I don't want to date you, but you can't date this person because I don't want to lose you in my like from my friend life. I can't tell you how many times I have been through that. <laughs> <laughs> Aww. Another thing I could have lived without is uh, Agamus. Mm. Without Jeffrey Combs' face, it was just alarming. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we, we are accustomed to him playing villainous roles and seeing his face. So it establishes a level of familiarity that makes him a little less threatening than his characters actually are, right? We all know Wayun was a problem. But because it's Jeffrey Combs, we all kind of like, oh, look at this, look at this, look at this scamp, gotta keep your eye on him, you know? Same thing with Shran. Shran was a racist jerk. But, you know, it's Jeffrey Combs, so everything's cool. And I feel like without seeing his face, without having a, a human being to portray a, a character behind, I guess, that voice or that cadence or I don't know what it is, no ma'am. <laughs> no ma'am i would have set that thing on fire so fast i don't give a good john brown about a regulation they would have had the court martial me on that one but you also pointed out in your recap that you were really bothered by boimler and mariner fighting yes and like i was thinking about it usually when that setup when that's the setup in another episode like you get that frame of one character winking at another but that doesn't happen no he could have pulled her aside and been like, hey, listen, I figured something out. And they could that would have been it. Because that's definitely their dynamic mm -hmm. as well. Like, that's on brand for them. Doing scrappy undercover things. Like, they've been around each other long. He's been around her long enough to know that she would be with the shits if that was the case. But punching her in her face and then stunning her was like, no, unacceptable. Send it back. I don't want it. That's when this episode really bothered me. And, and then at seeing Tendi being traumatized by Ruffy, or by, by the uh, thought of losing Rutherford. The fact that this woman, this queen, what's her name, Paulana, the fact that she staged not only her son, her death, but other, like, other people's too? Like, who are you? What? what? Like, fight me. Fight me. Because now you're doing too much. You've been doing too much, but that's not cool. Tendi's clearly traumatized. All these things happened this episode that were, like, heavy things. And I, I don't understand why people were into it. I, I, I get it that Combs is a fan favorite and everything, but this one was uh, not the one for me. Yeah, I mean, I, as I said, I, I enjoyed huge swaths of this episode, but I have to say that it, is, it was easily the weakest episode for me as well. I Just the whole build-up storyline really made me uncomfortable, although the next time I watch it, I definitely will watch it through a new frame. Because your thoughts on it were really interesting, Sue. But yeah. like overall, just not not my favorite one. You know what was my favorite one? <laughs> <laughs> was it Ike Screenus? Yes! This episode <laughs> rocked. Boimler was so good in this episode. I yeah. can't believe it's real. He is a hero upon hero. Yes. When he comes out with the with the Borg babies like yes. strapped on and he's like, I taught the Borg Queen empathy. Yes. Like, oh, I was so, it was so good. It was so, 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 so good. Actually, the whole episode was freaking good. Like, it just, I just, it, it was like not only, we were talking about how fun the references are. This was like, what would happen if our crew was in old episodes of, of, of Star Trek? How would that be? <laughs> and it was freaking brilliant. And I have to say, I, I told you we'd come back to this. I'm here again. I, it really bothers me that this episode was so freaking good and all of these people on Twitter decided to take a screenshot of someone who wasn't even actually Boimler, like literally was not Boimler, being naked and being like, this is just, oh, I can't believe that this is Star Trek and like just clutching of the plurals and this episode was so good. 
And it makes me so frustrated. Like, I literally know what John Delancey's ass looks like. Yes. And you all mm-hmm. are mad that there's a black stripe over a fictional, fictional Boimler? Yeah, it's not Boimler. <laughs> like, that's like, they're like, this is this character, and he's so... And I'm like, it's not him, which you would know if you watched the episode and knew the context. This is like a really ramped up, over-the-top, extra version of the Naked Time that was designed to be so horrifying that Mariner would fail her simulation. But it's yeah. also not the first time we've had nudity on this show or in this season. Yeah. No. It's just it was just so like watching that 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 backlash was so frustrating. They were all the the real them, if you can call them real, were all in a group shower together yeah. in the second episode. <laughs> Yeah, and, and more, and everybody else. Everybody else on that shift. We yeah. saw everybody's bits. So why is this the problem? Um, I will want to say in that scene, though, in the in the background, Billups is chilling naked, but with his pad. <laughs> yes, yes. I was like, this is pure. He's probably looking up filthy engine designs. Look at you. <laughs> Look at you. Looking at engine designs or schematics that need to be updated. You filthy, filthy engineer. Shout out to the one true pairing of Lower Decks, that is Shax and Ta'ana. <laughs> if I wasn't crushing on Shax before, spoiler alert, I was. Definitely crushing now, because he's tall and thick like I like him. Can we talk, though, about the Mirror Universe simulation? We have more bondage gear. Yes. But they also directly say, like, nothing makes me hornier than torture. Yes. <laughs> I, was yes. Like, I was watching this episode oh, and I was like, I cannot believe that we literally did a kink episode like a week ago. <laughs> it really was. Now they're releasing this episode? Really? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It was such a, it, it, one reason why I think it was so telling is like, it's insight into how the writers see Star Trek. Mm. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like, I feel like it would have been really useful. <laughs> In our discussion. But say yeah. la vie. I do love, though, that they think it's all like a fake exercise to get them to work together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's really just Sherry. Sherry Yinyam. <laughs> they kept messing up her name, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which I thought was a little disrespectful. I mean, that was also kind of their purpose in messing it up. Yeah. Sherry Yinyang. <laughs> I was like, that's not her name. <laughs> but just the fact that to prove their point, they literally sought out perilous situations and coasted through everything like it was nothing mm-hmm. was, to me, a bigger flex on the franchise than Keishon and his eyes open was, episode-wise. Because here we've established halfway into the season, almost towards the end of it, that this crew is kind of rough around the edges, but they get it done in the broad scheme of a armada that is known for getting it done. And here we are proving that even even the knuckleheads can get can get it done in a way that is fun for them, that is effortless for them. Like, I don't know about y'all, but I'm not flinging myself towards a black hole like everything's cool. <laughs> and just I am bringing it back to Boimler because to me, he's the real highlight of this episode. And this is like super character development for him. Oh, yeah. The thing he wants more than anything is to prove himself in this exercise, and he gives it up for his crew. Yeah. And and was killing it. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. He was so good. When that, that second take around, when he was nailing it, I said, okay, Boimler, let's go. I was cheering <laughs> for him. I was like, Boimler was the biggest glow up for me because he was so annoying to me in the first season. And then in this one, I mean, listen, that study abroad... Really did him good. <laughs> the best. Really did him well. Uh, moving on to Wedge Dooch. Another amazing episode. Yeah. I really loved this episode. I really love how Lordax is like, oh, so we're a comedy show, but we're also going to deepen canon. Yep. Mm-hmm. Like you would not believe and like explore things that the live action shows could just kind of kind of gloss over. Well, well, no, we're not only going to explore them. We're going to do standalone episodes that are shorter than live action episodes that do more for world building. What? Amazing. Flex. I have the biggest crush on Tlin. <laughs> she can call me. 
<laughs> so a friend of mine, after watching this episode, texted me and goes, are we getting a new character in season three? Yes, that I hope yeah. so. They better bring it to us. We want her. I love her. She's so good. I love, she's the, she's the perfect, okay, this is why the Vulcans are my favorite, because our, my favorite Vulcan characters all have that quality, where they're super logical, but they are super sass masters at the same time, so like Tuvok, Spock, they're both really good at this, right, where at the very um, end of her, like, she walked out and said, live long and prosper, same way Spock does in the JJ movies, which is one of my favorite moments for for Spock is just like live long and prosper like fuck off and die <laughs> and you haven't even met to Paul yet I know I'm excited I love the Vulcans I love them because the idea of them is so good because it's like on the one hand they they have so much emotion that they're mm-hmm. trying to keep a handle on it through logic but like their emotion leaks through all of the time and I, I just love them. I love them so much. And she was just, she was so awesome. My favorite thing about Talyn is learning how dramatic Vulcans are. <laughs> they are so dramatic. Spock and his loot should have told us. Yeah, just dramatic. She has lost her mind. Like, what? <laughs> These, this, is so the, this is the precise outburst I'm referring to. What outburst? Like, what? <laughs> like, no wonder Michael Burnham is like that. No wonder. No wonder. No wonder. I also want to give a shout out to Mach. I really mm-hmm. appreciated him. Um, I felt like he was a, a cool Boimler reflection mm-hmm. of somebody who wanted ambition. Shout out to him for, you know, sticking to his guns when his commanding officer was being a prick. Like, what is it with... I thought, like, Cleon's whole thing was not, you know, jeopardizing the peace between their allies and stuff. Like, what is wrong with you, bro? Like, we keep we can't keep doing this. So I appreciated Mach. I appreciated seeing a Targ. Mm-hmm. <laughs> super, super cute. And I appreciated the fact that we saw some downtime with the bridge crew. And I, I like the fact that they phrased it in a way that it's like, hey, we've got, it's going to be 12 hours until we get somewhere. Let's do things. Some here's some R&R. And it's like, oh, wow, I guess, yeah, if you're constantly in space, like you're in transit, you're not always exactly where you need to be. Some things do take some time to get to. So just that idea was really um intriguing for me. Can we also talk about all of these Starfleet officers appropriating Hawaiian culture. And how Boimler calls them out on it? Mm-hmm. Perfect. Although I do appreciate that one of them is a big girl. Yes, I was going to say, wait, wait, <laughs> who's, who's going to say? Is it going to be me? Is it going to be you? Um, I really love the fact that she was there. I wish we had a name for her and her cute little accent. It, but, and it's just, it's just, uh, mm, uh, mm, uh. If Boimler hadn't called them out on it, I would have been upset. I'd have been like, dear Mr. McMahon, how dare you? <laughs> so yeah, wedge dooch. Um, and then shout out to the Borg at the end. Oh my gosh. Genius. <laughs> shout out to the Borg. Shout out to the pack leads. The Borg in general on Lower Decks has been really fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, I also like Shaq's reacting to the way, just, just the fact that Bajor was mentioned. Fighting mm-hmm. fascism is a full-time job. I want job. that on a t-shirt so bad. Noted? So, well, yeah, maybe. Noted. Because it is. And that's why it's so exhausting. Which brings us to first, first contact. Oh, okay. So when I was first time trekking, and I got to the TNG episode with Sonia Gomez, I was so in love with her, and I was so bummed we never saw her again. The fact that they brought her back... This is what I was talking about before when I was like, it's wish fulfillment, but good. Yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Like, so, so many writers make such a big deal of, oh, like you just audience pandering. Sometimes audience pandering is awesome. Especially when you consider the reason why we never saw Sonia Gomez again. Tell the children. Oh, yeah. Uh, so when I was doing research for an article, for a post that I wrote, apparently there was initially just like a scheduling conflict. Like, they wanted to reshoot a scene after it had already been shot, and it had been enough time that Lycia Nath had cut her hair to a cute little, you know, 80s page boy kind of shortcut kind of jam. And 
was treated like dog shit on set just because she had cut her hair and they had to put like tracks in essentially to keep continuity. Um, if you go back and watch it, you can see, you know, her, her hair versus the hair, I suppose. But because it was like that, she was just like, all right, well. And, and that on top of the fact that her and LeVar Burton had such cool, almost like brother sister camaraderie countered the initial intention of making her a love interest for him. So they really just kind of didn't know what to do with the character. But you gonna give my girl shit because she got her hair cut? Please. Like, it it wasn't like she got her hair cut mid-shoot. You know, we were done. We were wrapped. My contract is complete. What What is the attitude for? So the fact that they brought her back was especially triumphant. Shout out to Sonia Gomez for feeling up Captain Picard. Her spilling hot chocolate was one of the only times I've ever seen myself in Star Trek. Mm -hmm. Because (laughs) these people are, for the most part, extremely competent, awesome people, and that's great. But I would be spilling hot chocolate on Picard. Like, that's what I would be doing if they put me in space. And I really like that they, they did such a, a nice, gentle callback in that if you had, if you didn't know who she was, you don't need to know who she was. Right. And then like they give her a little character moment where she's like really understanding to somebody who trips. And it's like, that can just be a character beat. It doesn't have to be a callback, you know? Like if you can get you writers who can do both is yeah. what I'm saying. Well, and you know what it shows is that. When you're in that situation, when you make that kind of mistake and you're just clumsy or you break something or whatever, you think, this is it. I'm going to get fired. This is the end of my career. What's going to happen to me? And the next time we see her, she's a captain. Yes. And she's giving that kindness to her crew. It's just A+. plus. Yeah. The thing is, too, is she was such a good captain. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. really impressive leadership. Like, that whole moment where she was like, okay. Now now we got to go to work. Those pips, though. And that ship, though. Shout out to the Archimedes. Mm. Woo! She was sexy. <laughs> I was like, okay, Gomez, put your big behind ship. Let's go. The other thing that jumped out at me was Mariner's immaturity. Like, I'm getting annoyed now. Like, I get it. It's funny. Haha, <laughs> Kiki, you're irreverent. But girl, like, get your life together. There was a handful of times where I was like... It's a little unbelievable that you're being so aggressive right now when everybody is trying to get things done. But at the same time, I think they were playing that up because they wanted a more impactful resolution, which was her growing. I I think they just pushed it a little too far. Because that that scene on the bridge where she's talking to, to Freeman, I thought that one was okay. Like Freeman being like, Okay, can we talk about this later? But also, I'm sorry too, and I love you. Like that to me is the perfect amount. Whereas when she's arguing with them when they're trying to right before they're about to dive into cetacean ops, which yeah. we must get to. But anyway, that to me was like, really, what are you doing? <laughs> that that seemed a little over the top and out of character for me. Like a line or two, yes. Like a full on argument right before. Like, they're all going to die? Maybe not the time. But that's exactly what happened at the end of season one. The thing about that scene in particular that makes this so complex for me, the nuances, right, is one of the things that a number of people, a number of Black women specifically, will, you know, co-sign with is that in the Black community, there's a lot of pressure to perform to outperform everybody around you. And if you come from a family of outperformers in an outperforming organization, there's going to be a whole lot of pressure. There's going to be a whole lot of um, expectations in terms of what your role was at the moment of crisis. And her line with like, you guys don't understand what my family's like hit me particularly hard because it's like, ooh, heavy. So for, for Tendi to then be like, we are your family now, like get over it is important because it it establishes another layer to found family. A lot of folks are coming from generations or coming from having parents from generations that don't understand the nuances of how we approach things now and aren't trying to hear anything about, you know, mental health or self-care or, you know, labor rights or any of that. Like, they're not trying to hear it. And to have that affirmation happen at a point of crisis was so impactful, I think, for 
for me and for Mariner, it looks like, because it enabled her to, you know, remember who she is and who's who's around her. Or rather, I should say, who else is around her. Yeah, and I and I think that that scene and the scene on the bridge are two of the reasons why I thought this episode was so good, because it was such a good standalone problem and standalone episode, but they didn't let it get completely wrapped up in shenanigans. They still grounded it to our characters and their feelings and their development. And that scene where Tendy's like, we're your family now, was gorgeous. I just think that, like, literally they could have cut maybe one or two back and forths where Mariner's arguing with them, and it wouldn't have felt so... So forced. Mm-hmm. I feel yes. like I feel like that time could have been... I would have... I'll see this. I will see you leaving that in there, and or, or see, you, see you cutting that part, right? Or just clipping it. But raise you leaving that part in there and cutting her running to ransom in them to let them know what happened. We could have just had a quick little scene in the bridge like, hey, by the way, this is happening. And then being like, whoa! And it escalating kind of in the same way. I feel like that that took a little bit of time away from 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 that moment there. But speaking of of powerful moments, holy cat cetacean ops. <laughs> holy cats. Although I could have oh. done without the super horny dolphin. Can we are we like what? Beluga whatever <laughs> they were. Like They were belugas. Super horny. Entirely like unnecessarily called HR horny. Like that's <laughs> that's not that's not even like haha kiki like everyone nowadays is like whoa boundaries too close. And like I I get it uh Rutherford swum swam swum swam in cetacean ops before with oh geez what's her name? Barnes and somebody else. But I just like sir, I am on the clock. <laughs> like <laughs> what are you talking about? Don't talk to me like that. Like what's the matter with you? What Concerns me, though. I know I'm going back a little bit, but, like, it feels like Mariner didn't get the kind of season resolution that the other three got. No, not at all. In this episode, because we've got, you know, Tendi being told that she's being put into, like, the science officer training program. Mm -hmm. Like Jezia Dax. Like Jezia. Mm-hmm. What are you talking about? Like Spock. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? I don't know who the but, fuck it is. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, she's – and her struggles have been with her confidence. Yeah. And, and her supervisor is telling her, you're, you're nailing everything we give you. It's a little <laughs> unsettling. <laughs> you know, and, and Rutherford is dealing with being – like, moving on and not the, the fear of losing his memories again. And – Boimler was struggling with like command styles and jumping in and taking charge. And they all reach a point in this episode where they do something big that shows their progress. And like, we've seen Mariner have these fights before with her mother. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we've seen her apologize before with her mother. Yeah. So where it just didn't feel to me, maybe somebody saw something I didn't or feels differently, but it didn't seem to me that she's taking the same steps forward as her friends are. Yeah. <clears throat> it's almost like they're holding on to her character development to give the show somewhere to go. And yes, she acknowledges that like when she likes people, she pushes them away. But she's done that several times. Like, I agree. But also speaking of that, I 100% shit Mariner and Jennifer Me now. too! <laughs> oh yeah, they're the new Benefer. First of all, I love that Jennifer was literally a throwaway like line. <laughs> like, Move, Jennifer, um, which was one of the funniest and like one of the funniest moments for me in season one. I just mm-hmm. I love the I love that. And then now at the end of everything, like she's sitting and having a drink with Jennifer, and I do think that that's a pretty significant step forward for her. Yeah. And I just, I I enjoy seeing Mariner be Mariner, but maybe a little bit wiser and um, closer to a cute Andorian. <laughs> I just want them to spell Jennifer the way I, I spell it. Like, there's no way that an Andorian is spelling Jennifer the way we spell it. I'm totally with the fact that there's an Andorian named Jennifer, 
But please don't spell it like human beings do. I've provided a spelling several times on the internet. You're welcome. Freeman was framed all this time. She was over underestimating the pack lights. And look at this greasy stunt they pull. Holy cats. Obviously someone's helping them. And the fact that it was so sneaky, like brings me to the, the, the scene in the, in the, credits the title credits where they run up on the borg and it's the first it was just the romulans and the borg now it's the romulans the pack leds and the borg so i'm thinking this reeks of duras right it's just sneaky behind the back stuff obviously it's not the duras family themselves but in terms of like conspiring with one's enemy to get what one wants i just oh oh i would have rather there had been a big blowout guns a-blazing, full fleet, or at least a half of the fleet fighting the Packleds because they're, they've amassed that much power and are secretly being controlled by a mastermind who is, you know, ridiculously intelligent and all of Packled intelligence is, like, siphoned into the, the queen, kind of like the way bees, like, keep the queen bee cool or bring her food and junk so she could just lay eggs. Like, the queen Packled is just brilliant, you know? Like, that's what I was hoping for, but them framing her like, oh, I am, I am, a, I'm outraged. <laughs> I am offended. Justice for Freeman, free Freeman. Like, where are the signs? <laughs> what's, what's, where are we organizing? The embarrassment to come to my ship. You gonna come to my job? You gonna come to my house and arrest me in front of my family? Disrespectful. Well, it's quite the cliffhanger, though. Mm. I, I I kind of felt like they they were evoking best of both worlds there, which I enjoyed, but also did not enjoy. How dare? Yeah. I thought this was a really good season, and I really like this show. I really want to know what the deal is with Rutherford's implant now. Yo, what yes. did he forget? Yeah, but especially the, like, we'll make him think it's elective. You mean it's not? The actual, like, story story, the plot of this episode was one of the best, like, space shenanigans plots I think they've ever done on Star Trek. Yeah. Like, not on Lower Decks, on Star Trek. It was so cool and creative, and everybody got to shine. I thought it was really, really well done. Well, that's about all the time we have today. Uh, Sue, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me on the Bird app at Spaltor. That's S-P-A-L-T-O-R. And Andy, where can folks find you with the internet? Easiest place is Twitter. I'm at First Time Trek. Cool. And I'm Kennedy. You can find me at that Mikey chick. That's that M-I-K-E-Y-C-H-I-C-K. Don't add up in my comments because I'll blag you and drop you. Blag you and drop you? I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> I will blag you and drop you. You heard it here first, folks. To learn more about our show or contact us, visit womenatwarp.com or find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Women at Warp. You can also email us at crew at womenatwarp.com. And for more Roddenberry podcasts, visit podcast.roddenberry.com. Thanks so much for listening. Rito Strong. This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.roddenberry.com.